Thank you for tuning in to Living Life with Purpose, a ministry of Florida Bible Church in Miramar, Florida. At Florida Bible, we believe that life is preparation for eternity and hope this message will be an encouragement and blessing to you. More information about Florida Bible can be found at www.floridabible.org. Amen. Doesn't it feel good to rejoice in the Lord? I tell you, you can come in down and discourage and start singing and rejoicing in the Lord, and, and He just picks our spirits right back up. We're going to continue today with our series. It's no big deal. It's amazing since we started this series, how I've heard, just listening around, this expression more and more and more. You know, people talking about this deal or this relationship or, or this uh, behavior, and hey, it's no big deal, it's no big deal. People are saying it all over the place. You know, we've lost our moral compass. We've lost our sense of direction in our day and age. We need to get it back, don't we? Because it is a big deal how we live our life. We've been talking most recently about how this attitude invades the idea of what we believe. And so many people say, it's no big deal what you believe. You know, just pick a belief system and be true to it. It'll make you a better person. If you're a better person, I will have a better world. And that just doesn't wash, though, because what we believe needs to be also true. And we're talking about eternal consequences for what we embrace in our life. And so we've been looking at different worldviews and, and, and different religious views to see how they're, they're different and how we can reach out to people. We've talked about reaching out to our Jewish friends. I had one of our beautiful sisters uh, just telling me before the service how already the Lord gave her an opportunity to use what we talked about and reach out to a Jewish friend. And uh, She was so excited, and that's what the Lord does. See, we might think, oh, I'm never going to talk to anybody like that. I'm never going to talk to a Hindu. I'm never going to talk to a, a, a Muslim. You don't know, because the Lord is in charge of our life, and He's going to open up opportunities if our hearts are open to be used by Him. And it's exciting. Uh, by the way, I came across, last week we talked about reaching out to our Hindu friends, came across a really great uh, track called the, the Vedic Bridge. And if any of you have a relationship built with a Hindu friend, uh, they're out in the track rack. It's a really good resource to, to possibly share Christ with uh, them through it. And I uh, just wanted to let you know that's available. Now we're going to continue today. And what we're trying to do is embrace this idea of Jude chapter 1 verse 22-23. Two goals. One is to build up our own holy faith. And again, I emphasize to you that it's a holy faith. That's important. This is important to God, what we're talking about. It's important to Him. Then also we're doing this so that we can follow the second part, and that is we can reach out to people who are in doubt or snatch those who we know have no faith in Jesus Christ out of the fire and, and be used by God to do that. We do that by building relationships with people, sincere relationships. We do that by taking it to the Lord in prayer, praying for people, understanding that it's not us, it's God working through us that will make the difference in their life. But if we make ourselves available, then God will use us in that area. Now, some of you may not have any Jewish acquaintances, or some of you may have no Hindu acquaintances. We're going to start talking about today one that impacts us all, because today we're going to start reaching out to our unbelieving friends. How many of you have friends or relatives that you know are unbelievers? Yeah, all of us do. All of us know people who are unbelievers, and we want to reach out to them. See, the world has embraced this kind of an attitude that is an actual campaign going on in England right now. They have this uh, slogan on all the buses, there's probably no God, now stop worrying and enjoy your life. That's how, where people want to be today. You know, there, there is no God. Don't worry about God. The whole idea of God, that concept is dead. This is especially true of our young people who graduate from our homes that we've raised in Christian homes and they go away to a secular university. This is what they're getting more than any other world religion. They're getting a religion that there is no God. 
And so many of them are being intimidated by these, these very intelligent, uh, seemingly intelligent uh, teachers and professors and, and other students. And, and they're kind of capitulating to this idea that, you know, I guess all that stuff that mom and dad taught me and, and that the church taught me or my Christian school taught me, that was just a, a lot of nonsense and there really isn't a God. And it's really prevalent in our society today. The question that we want to talk about today is, is there really a God? Is there a God? Well, there's three possible answers to this question. One, either no, there is no God. Second is, well, maybe there is a God. Or yes, there is a God. Three ways that we can answer the question. Now, if we're dealing with someone who's a friend or a family member in our life who doesn't believe in God, it's probably not going to happen that they're going to jump from no to yes right away. They're just not going to say, you know, one day you're going to say, you know what, I believe in God. Well, say, well, maybe I should believe in God too because you believe in God. Probably not going to happen. Probably what we're going to have to do is take a more gradual course with them, and that's maybe moving them from no to maybe. And again, we can't move them there. All we can do is share things that the Holy Spirit can use to persuade them and to touch their hearts and make them tenderhearted and move them to the next step. So we're, we're trying to get initially from no, there is no God, to maybe. So let's start with somebody who says God does not exist. That's it. He just doesn't exist. What do you say to somebody like that? Well, let me give you, there's many things you can do, but let me give you one thing you might do. Take and draw a circle on a piece of paper. In that circle, at the very top of it, write all knowledge. And just say to your friend, you know, this circle is symbolic of all knowledge that can be known. Mathematically, scientifically, medically, uh, geography, whatever. Anything that can possibly be known in all of knowledge, that's what this circle represents. Then hand them the pen and they say, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to take this pen and I want you to draw a circle inside the circle that represents how much of all the possible knowledge there is to know that you actually possess. Now, even the most arrogant person is going to put a real little circle. And you can even come back and say, wow, you know a lot more than I do. I wouldn't have even put myself that much, considering all the knowledge that there is to know. And so we understand that even as a human being, we don't even use 100% of our brain's potential. We use a very small percentage of our brain's potential. And so, you know, knowing that, of everything that has ever been pumped into my brain throughout my entire formal education and things I've learned on the job, and things I've learned from my family, you know, my, my scope of all knowledge is like insignificant compared to all the knowledge that can be known. Now, to really conclude, honestly and logically, that there is no God, wouldn't we have to have access to all the knowledge that can be known? Isn't that really the only way to answer that question? Emphatically, that there is no God? See, a much more logical approach, a much more honest approach, would be to have to, we'd have to say, maybe there is a God. I don't really think so, but you know, i got to beat you halfway on this. Okay, maybe there's a God out there. And I think most people would admit that. That they cannot conclusively say there is no God. They have to leave at least the door cracked, maybe. Now, if they come back and say, no, I'm not even cracking the door, there is no God, period. Then what do you do? Well, you don't do anything. Because that person is very close-minded, and there's not way you're going to do anything. Apparently, the Holy Spirit isn't working on them at that moment. 
And so you just walk away from the conversation, maybe try again later on. All right, so the only logical conclusion is that, okay, maybe there is a God. Then the question really becomes, can I prove that God exists? And they may say, well, can you prove to me that God exists? Okay, I'll give you maybe. Can you prove to me he exists? Well, my response would have to be, well, that depends on what kind of proof you require and how much proof you require. Now, we've been kind of seasoned to respond unbelievers by saying, well, I need scientific proof that God exists. Because science has said we've got all the answers now. We know where man came from. We, we know all about life and all that. And so people are going to say, I need scientific proof. But you know, really, science is only one human discipline. And the scientific method is a great discovery. And through the scientific method, we have had many wonderful advances in medicine and technology and engineering. And, and we are all beneficiaries of the scientific method because they've been able to test and prove certain facts about life and certain facts about, uh, about these different disciplines and fields. But there's a lot of different human fields that you can't implement the scientific method. For example, you can't implement the scientific method when we're talking about historical knowledge. Or we're talking about moral knowledge. It doesn't work. You can't plug it in. You can't put it in a test tube. You can't test it over and over again. Same thing with uh, philosophical knowledge or personal knowledge. The scientific method is not the answer for everything in life. And just so you know that this isn't my opinion, listen to what some non-believing scientists say about this. Sir Peter Medawar, who is a Nobel Peace Prize recipient for medicine, says this. There is no quicker way for a scientist to bring discredit upon himself and upon his profession than roundly declare that science knows, or soon will know, the answers to all questions worth asking. And that questions which do not admit a scientific answer are in some way non-questions, that they are only simpletons ask, and only the gullible profess to be able to answer. In other words, what he says, he says, listen, any scientist worth his salt has got to admit right up front that science does not have the answers to everything about life, nor will they ever have all the answers. And also, an honest scientist doesn't take somebody who has a different opinion that cannot be proved scientifically and say, oh, they're just a simpleton. They're just an idiot. They're a fool. So that is not honest science. Take Stephen Jay Gould, who was one of America's foremost evolutionary biologists. Uh, he passed away of cancer here just a short time ago. But even he says this. He's a non-believer. Believe me, a non-believer. He says, to say it for all my colleagues and for the umpteenth million time, you can see his frustration, from college bull sessions to learn treaties, science simply cannot, by legitimate methods, adjudicate the issue of God's possible superintendence of nature. We neither affirm nor deny it. We simply can't comment on it as scientists. Again, a non-believer. But he says, honestly, listen, and you hear the frustration. He says, I say it to my science colleagues for the umpteenth million time. We cannot deny God's superintendence in nature. Neither can we confirm it as scientists. We just can't comment on it. And so, scientific knowledge is not the answer. Now, I will tell you that there is scientific evidence in the Bible for the existence of God. But science isn't the know-all. All right, so if we can't just go to science and use the scientific method, 
then how can we possibly prove that there's a God? Well, can I offer up maybe another possible way of proof? And that is evidential proof. Say, what's evidential proof? That's the kind of proof that we use every day in our courts of law. In a court of law, here's what's required. In a civil case, it requires for a verdict a preponderance of credible evidence. In a criminal case, it requires evidence beyond a what? A reasonable doubt. Does it say beyond the shadow of a doubt? No. Because you cannot prove everything exact. See, this was the whole O.J. Simpson trial. The criminal trial, they came to the, the conclusion that the, the prosecutors did not present beyond a reasonable doubt his guilt in the murder of his former wife and, and her friend. But in the civil case, he was convicted because there was a preponderance of credible evidence. And so we can kind of use this same idea and, and come up with evidence. Where can we find, though, this source of evidence. Well, the Bible tells us exactly where we can start. Now, this is for us as Christians. You don't take your, your, your non-believing friend right to the Bible, because here you're going to say, well, I don't believe in the Bible. That's another time. That's another lesson. But we, we can go to the Bible so that God tells us where to start. In the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 18, it says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is what? plain to them because God has made it plain to them see God in the scripture God inspires the apostle Paul to say that we can know there's a God God has made his existence plain to man well how has he made it plain well Paul goes on to tell the church at Rome for since the creation of the world God's invisible qualities his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made from what has been created and the conclusion is, so men are without excuse who say there is no God. There is no excuse for saying that. Because God has made it clear that he exists in the world. Have you ever seen these pictures from the Hubble Space Telescope and, and, and the satellite? These are not artist renditions of anything. These are actual photographs of different places out there in the universe. Look at the majesty and the beauty of those photographs. And we're only seeing it two-dimensionally. We don't see it three-dimensionally. Look at this picture of, of, of out there in the glory. And again, the spectacular nature of the universe, of things just out there beyond our ability to see with our naked eye. And then we just think of our own planet Earth. You know, When I see pictures of our planet out there from outer space, I get goosebumps. I don't know about you. It's like I get goosebumps when I see the cross. I get goosebumps when I see the American flag blowing in the wind. You know, we have a remarkable planet. It's amazing. And the things that are on our planet that we get to enjoy every day, things like the beautiful ocean, that we get to go right down to the ocean and see the waves and, and see the beauty of sunsets and sunrises over the ocean and, 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 and the beautiful waterfalls that are in different parks and, and, and the different lakes and, and the forests and all just the natural beauty of this earth. God says, I made all that. We see beautiful mountains reflecting off still ponds like a mirror a mere reflection, and beautiful meadows. And yet, we are told to believe, and we are intimidated to believe, that all of that just happened. It just happened. 
We, we are, are told that one time, some place in time, there was a cosmic explosion that's been called the Big Bang. And that's, this happened, and, and then everything that we know, everything that we are, was just a random coincidence as a result of that explosion that happened someplace in time. Just all happened. It just all happened. Well, what does the preponderance of evidence say about what God said about himself that what is to be known of me, I have made clear in what I've made. Let's look at a couple examples this morning. Look about our amazing planet, Earth. Do you realize that the Earth is perfect in its size? It's perfect in its size. It's perfect in its size to be able to have an atmosphere like we have. Do you know that Earth has this wonderful atmosphere that exists 50 miles up? It's a thin layer of mostly nitrogen and oxygen that allows life to exist on planet Earth. If Earth was any smaller at all, it would be more like Mercury, and it couldn't have an atmosphere. The sun's ultraviolet rays would burn it up. If it was any bigger than it is, then it couldn't sustain life also, because we would have three hydrogens instead of the atmosphere that we have that gives life to everything that is living on the Earth and allows it to breathe. In fact, Earth is the only known planet that has the right atmosphere with the exact mixture of gases that is able to sustain plant, animal, and human life. It has to be that perfect size to do it. But that just happened. It just randomly happened. No order to it. No plan to it. It just happened. Earth is the perfect distance from the sun. Our temperatures regulate between minus 30 to 120 degrees Fahrenheit. And that's all regulated by our distance from the sun. Do you realize if Earth was even a fraction closer to the sun, the temperatures would, would accelerate so rapidly and so high that it would burn up all life? If Earth was a fraction further from the sun, then the temperature would be so cold that it couldn't sustain life. But it's at the exact distance from the sun. And it stays at that existence, mind you, while it's rotating around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour. Right now, this rock that we're living on is rocketing around the sun at 67,000 miles per hour. I'm starting to feel dizzy. How about you? <laughs> and it stays in that orbit. And not only is it rocketing around the sun, at the same time it's rotating on its own axis, so that half of the time the sun is warming the planet, half of the time the sun is cooling parts of the planet, and if that didn't work, if the, sun wasn't, if the earth wasn't rotating on its axis as it's rocketing around the sun at 67,000 miles per hour, then it would be all sunlight and the planet would burn up, or it would be all cold and there couldn't be any life. And so it just happens that the sun rockets around exactly the sun it has for millennials, 67,000 miles per hour while rotating, so the earth gets just the amount of light it needs and warmth, just the amount of coolness it needs, so life doesn't perish. It just all happened. It's accidental. Now, I don't know. Maybe I'm old-fashioned. I think it's that way because Genesis 1 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens. And God created the what? 
the earth. It's the perfect distance from the moon. Not only do we have a planet, but God put a moon out there. Do you realize that without the moon, all the water, 70% of the earth is covered by water. And without the moon and the tides and the effect that gravity and the moon place on the earth's surface, all the water would become stagnant. And if we have any doctors, any medical people in here, you know the result of stagnant water is what? Disease. If we didn't have the moon and its gravitational pull on the waters, all the waters on this earth would flood the land and destroy all the plants and all the animals and us. Think about water itself. All living organisms are comprised of between 50 and 90% water. Human beings, we're about 70% water. We're a big glass of water with mud stuck on it, walking around. That's what we are. That water, that is 70% of our bodies, is a natural air conditioning unit. It keeps our body temperature regulated at 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit. If that doesn't happen, then our brain fries and we can't live. Our organs begin to fail. That's why when we get sick and we get a temperature and our temperature rises above 98.6 and we go to the doctor and the doctor may give us an antibiotic and say, take this antibiotic, get plenty of rest and what? Drink plenty of water. You got to bring the system. You got to cool the system down. It's a universal solvent. Water mixes with anything. It mixes with that. That's important because it's, it's what happens in our digestive tract. It mixes with all the nutrients, and yet water will take the nutrients into our bloodstream and feed our organs and keep us alive. It's a, chemically, it's neutral. It can mix with anything without changing the chemical format of whatever it mixes with. It has a unique surface tension. Water can defy gravity. And that's why water can go from the ground up through the roots and up through the stalk of a plant, up through the highest redwood trees out in the northwest and feed the plant life up there. At the same time, water freezes on the top of water and it floats on water. If water froze from the bottom up, during times of winter time in winter areas, all the life in that water would perish. But instead, water freezes only on the top and it floats so that the fish life, the marine life, can continue to live underneath. But all that just happened. Now, compare that to the fact that 70% of the world's surface is covered by water. 67% of that is salt water, the oceans. We know that in order to sustain life, we have to have what kind of water? Fresh water. Well, when all of this just happened, just happened to come into a place that there's a natural distillation process on the earth to where the waters in 67% of the, of, of the surface of the salty water, the water evaporates, but the salt stays in the ocean. And the water goes up and becomes clouds. Then because our earth is perfect in size, the winds come and blow the clouds over the land. And what happens? The rain, the fresh water comes back down and replenishes the earth. But that's just a cosmic accident of a chain of random events. Really. Consider the mystery of DNA, deoxyribonucleic acid. One of the greatest discoveries at the end of the 20th century, DNA, 
gene therapy. They're working on it now. It's going to revolutionize medicine. It's going to revolutionize lives in years to come. It can also be very scary. But consider this. DNA is kind of like a computer program. Those of you who know about computers, all software is, is just random ones and zeros. It's a binary code in different formations, different uh, uh, settings, different order, and that makes the computer do different things. Well, DNA is the same thing. There's four components. The scientists call it A, G, C, and, and, and T. And the way these components are set up determine what kind of cell it is and how it will act. Do you realize that there are three billions Three billion of these letters in every single human cell. Three billion of them. And these three billion letter codes tell a cell how to act in a certain way. Heart DNA tells all these cells, 300 billion cells, to be formed in just this way and congeal with other heart DNA to create the organ that pumps blood in our body. Then there's kidney DNA, two of them, and kidney DNA all get together, 300 billion in each cell, and they find each other and have a party, and they purify our system. And there's other DNA in each cell, 300 billion of these, uh, of these ordered DNA, and they do our veins and our skins and our ears and our eyes and our mouth and our, and our, and our hair and everything. How did this information wind up in the cell? It just happened. Just randomly happen. How about your brain? I know people say you got a pea brain. But even if you do, understand this that pea brain inside its skull on your head processes more than a million messages a second. A million messages a second. Right now, your brain is simultaneously processing all the colors and all the objects you are looking at right now. All that you're seeing. And all of us are seeing the same thing, by the way. Right now, your brain is sensing the temperature around you. I see some of you are sitting like this because you're cold. And others are sitting like this, you're fanning yourself. And it's your brain that's telling you whether you're hot or cold. It's sensing the pressure on your buttocks on that chair right now where you're sitting. And that's why no one's sitting still. You're switching, you know, because all of a sudden the brain will say, oh, change positions. Something's going to sleep over here. And you'll switch over to this side. And you'll switch over to this side. And you'll switch over to this side. It's giving you, it's sensing the pressure of your feet on the floor, and you weren't even thinking about it, but everybody is now going, oh yeah, I feel that, yeah. <laughs> it's simultaneously signaling you concerning the dryness of your mouth. Am I thirsty? How many of you are thirsty? I am. I can't wait to get a drink of water. And it's your brain saying, boy, water would be good right now. It's regulating your breathing, your heart rate, your blood pressure, your blood circulation. All this is happening, you're not even thinking about it. You're not sitting there saying, bump, 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 bump. It's just happening. It's processing the words that I'm speaking to you, allowing you to hear them and understand them. It's allowing you to process this message and make individual evaluations of how this message will impact you in your life and your understanding. It's also uh, help, uh, causing your mind to wrestle over when I'm going to stop. <laughs> causing you to look at your watch and say, this is almost over. It allows you to dream, feel, reason, take action, to relate to people. And it's not just an individual thing. Our brains, because of the DNA, all gets together and we share as human beings the same emotions by the same stimuli. When we're at a funeral of, of a loved one or a friend, we can sit and we can hug each other and, and the tears start coming down our cheeks. 
because we're experiencing sadness. Then we can come to a comedy like we're, like we're having here in, in a couple weeks and, and we can hear a comedian. We can all be laughing at the same kind of thing because that stimulus process is the same way in our brains because our brains are made up of DNA and all that DNA structure is the same way. 300 billion cells per, or, or 300 billion DNA consequences strain per cell. Romance when we're at a chick flick. And something romantic happens. We reach over and hold, hold the hand of our love and we feel the romance and it feels so good. So touchy-feely. It all just happened. It just happened that way. It's all random. It's, it's a big accident. Everything about the world we live in, the complexity, the uniformity, the intricacies, the constancy, doesn't it all scream out that it cannot have been an accident that there must be some master designer for it all. I thought of having somebody come up and give me their wristwatch and me have a big bang with it up here (laughs) and put the pieces in a Tupperware, put the lid on and go back and ask you to shake it in your seat during the service. Come up and let me know how it went. You could shake it for the rest of your life. And how many think for a second that thing is ever going to come back and be a wristwatch again? Because things that are complicated have a designer. Somebody who engineered them. Somebody who made them. And life is too complex not to have a designer. And his name is God. Every day, gravity remains the same. Every day, the speed of light remains constant. Every day, planets and galaxies hold their place in the universe. Every day, the sun comes up and warms part of the planet. Every day, the moon comes up and the night comes and starts cooling part of the planet. Every day, generation, millennial after millennial, it happens over and over and over again. And we could go on all day. I shared four examples. I could easily share 400 examples. Preponderance of evidence... I don't know, you be the judge of that. How about evidence beyond a reasonable doubt? I would say no. I'd say no. Not beyond a reasonable doubt. And I would also say God intended it to be that way. See, Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. God could have made it when it was absolute. There was no question about it. But see, because God is who God is, He has always given creation a choice. And God said, I could approve myself, not only beyond a reasonable doubt, I could approve my existence beyond a shadow of a doubt. But then, what is our relationship if that's true? There's really nothing to our relationship. You're just a bunch of robots. And it might as well have been all random act. But God says, because I want to have a relationship with you, I give you a choice. Now what if we were to even open the door and say, well, maybe it all did happen because of this Big Bang. Well, that still doesn't answer the question, because for one example, astrophysicist Robert Gastro, again, not a believer, said the seed of everything that has happened in the universe was planted in that first instant. Every star, every planet, every living creature in the universe came into being as a result of the events that were set in motion in the moment of the cosmic explosion. Everything we're talking about. It's all random. 
But he concludes, the universe flashed into being. And we cannot find out what caused that to happen. We don't know what caused that to happen. Richard Feynman, Nobel Prize recipient in quantum electrodynamics. Why nature is mathematical is a mystery. Why there's so much order? Why there's so much constancy? Why this DNA is like DNA is? Why, why nature is so structured is a mystery. He said the fact that there are rules at all is kind of a miracle. No kidding. <laughs> Paul said Romans 1.21, For although they knew God, preponderance of evidence, would you agree? Although God made it possible to know it, they neither glorified him, God, nor gave thanks to him, but became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. It's not that there's not evidence for God if someone is honest. Why people deny God is either they've never been exposed to the evidence, and that's the privilege that God gives to us. Or it's because they, even though knowing the evidence, they've darkened their soul, they've darkened their mind, they've darkened their heart. And they say, don't confuse me with the facts my mind's made up. But Jesus said in John eight twelve, when Jesus spoke to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, God understood that because of sin, we're walking in darkness. God understood that we've lost our way. And that there was nothing we could do to find our way back to Him. Our hearts and our minds had become too dark. And so God did for us what we couldn't do for us. God sent light into the world through His Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus illuminates the path back to God. Illuminates the path back to reason. Jesus said, whoever follows me, you're not going to be walking in darkness. Whoever follows me, I'm going to light your path. The psalmist said, he's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Who are you following today? Who are you listening today? Let's bow our heads. Thanks for listening. Here at Florida Bible Church, we believe the first and most important step in life's journey is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So the question is, how about you? If you haven't started this relationship, you can use this model prayer. Jesus, I do want to begin a relationship with you. I know that I have sinned against you and cannot save myself. So right now, I ask for your forgiveness of all my sins and I accept you as my personal Savior, believing that you died on the cross and paid for all my sins. Forgive me now, and please give to me your precious gift of eternal life. Amen. You can find this prayer along with more detailed information on our website at www.floridabible.org. Just click the Beginning a Relationship with Jesus button. There you will also learn more about us and find the next steps for a Christ follower. Thanks again for listening to Living Life with Purpose. 